0: When it came down to it, I really wanted to live my life, really live it. So, it was time for me to make some bold decisions and dramatic changes.
1: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Lockwood, California, Montpelier, Vermont, and Durban, South Africa. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 51 of season five, number 350 overall. And do we ever have a story worthy of our big 350th show. Dr. Akil Teher, you heard him at the start, said he wanted not just to live, but to really live. And so today's show, our 350th episode, is all about the journey, how he reached his breaking point, and how he is living today. Dr. Taher went from thinking he was Superman and invincible to realizing that he's just a regular guy who is as susceptible to all of the same traps of the standard high-fat unhealthy diet and lifestyle that we are all vulnerable to. But Dr. Teher is also someone who went from having bypass surgery because his arteries were so clogged to climbing the tallest mountains in the world, and all of that was after he turned 60. He's climbing mountains in his 60s, and his candor in speaking about his evolution today is so striking. He will lay bare his faults for you and explain where he went wrong his old-school way of thinking, and how it quite literally almost killed him. And how this new mentality and new lifestyle are now enabling this former self-proclaimed Superman to finally accomplish superhuman feats. And again, he's doing it at an age when most of us are getting ready to settle down, but not Dr. Teher. For him, life is just beginning. Dr. Teher, thank you so very much for being
0: here. Thank you for having me on your show, Chuck, Uh, and giving me this opportunity to talk about my poor lifestyle choices prior to my heart surgery, where listeners can learn and benefit from the mistakes I've made, and also my transformation after my heart surgery, which was helped a lot, mainly by a plant-based diet, but also by exercise, meditation, and yoga.
1: My friend, I think the fact that, well, really anybody who's able to make this transformation is an inspiration. The fact that you yourself are a doctor and have gone through this, I think lends even more credibility to your story. So I am really really excited that you are here. And I want to kind of run down this timeline of events because all of this begins kind of after the age of 50, at least your first operation here uh, for your heart. You're 56 when you have stents placed in. Now, prior to having stents put into your heart, what, uh, what was your diet like? How was your health? How did you think your health was, I should say?
0: See Chuck, till the age of 61, I was a creator of my own unhealthy lifestyle. As a person, I enjoyed most of my life. I enjoyed rich, unhealthy food and drink without worrying about the unhealthy consequences like heart disease. Because like many amongst, even amongst the listeners, I believed it would not happen to me. So what really happened? like a moth to a flame. I was drawn to all this meat, eggs, dairy, oil, sugar, processed foods. And I needed this like an addict to get my daily high. At one point, I think somebody called me a a seafood eater, S-E-E, I ate everything at sight. You name it, unhealthy, Indian food, Chinese food, Mexican food, you name it and I've eaten it. And then on top of it, Chuck, I was a couch potato. I did not do any exercise period. In fact, the first generation of uh, Indians that we came to America, we did not know the meaning of exercise. So. What happened was the the only exercise I did was for my eye muscles, looking at joggers running the park or my hand muscles uh, trying to use the remote to change the TV channels. And Chuck, I had a type A personality. It was either my way or the highway. I needed to be under control. See, this all created a tremendous amount of stress. Now, you know, Chuck, It's not. I'm not talking about an acute stress. I'm not talking about something, a fight-flight uh, reaction. This was chronic. Inflammations, uh, cortisone building up. And that, all this combination caused a stress which I could not handle. And when I could not handle, I was not surprised when heart disease came knocking at my door at the age of 56. Well,
1: you said some, well, you said a lot there that I found particularly interesting, but I want to talk about kind of that, that Superman mentality that you were talking about. Like this could not happen to me. Is, is that because you were a doctor yourself, you're a physician, you were studied, schooled in medicine. And I, I don't know, what, what do you think was the reasoning behind that mentality that, well, it can happen to my patients, but I'm immune to this.
0: Because you see, uh, Chuck, I always believed at that time of treating the consequence of the disease and not the cause. So I knew if it happened to me, medical science would get me out of it. So I did not really care. And besides, I was too involved. You see, Chuck, I came to this country rather late in my forties and I had a lot of catching up to do. So in pursuit of the American dream, I ended up with a reckless pursuit of fame and fortune. I worked long hours without paying attention to my health, mental and physical, to my friends, to my family. And in some ways Chuck, I believe, to think about it now, I believe that my job at that time robbed me of my opportunity to lead a life of passion, purpose, and positivity i was the be all know all kind of a guy and that got my downfall along with my habits wrongful habits that got me
1: and i would imagine that uh, a lot of catching up to do with with that old standard american diet you said you were drawn to these foods you know like a moth to a flame what were the foods that you would say you craved the most which were the ones you were most addicted to
0: I was, you name it, I mean, steaks and, uh, you know, uh, oily foods. You know, we, we Indians have a cultural connection to oil. So butter and oil and processed foods and, uh, you know, Chinese foods and Japanese food, which is all that. And I am not ashamed to say this. I don't care if people uh, listen to this, the other doctors, but remember, those were the times when the pharmaceutical companies took you out. And they spent a bomb on you. So you had everything on your plate, whatever you needed. At times, I would have vegetarians sitting on my right of me and left of me. And I would eat their lobster and their steaks and all that. You know? mm. So I, I loved every kind of food. And this cultural connection to oil that we South Asians Indians have is remarkable. I mean, think about it. If you go, it it is a sign of warmth and generosity in a South Asian family, because as an Indian, if you have a pot of curry on the table, and if it does not have a thick layer of the waldi's oil slick, then we feel we are not doing justice to our guests.
1: So, it's a, it's a cultural thing, but would you say that y- the, your your health decline accelerated after immigrating here to the States? Did that just the ultra-processed, ultra-high fat, I would assume even more oil than that that Valdez oil slick you were talking about perhaps used over here stateside? Would you say that that accelerated your health decline and ultimately put you in the position that you were uh, to, to need the stents uh, inserted?
0: See, there are two, two answers to this. Back home, I was a non-vegetarian. So I ate meat, poultry, meat, fish, I had. But again, the thing was that I was not very well off. So I could not afford these. When I came over here, I could afford all this. And this is what happened. A easy accessi- accessibility to all these foods made it even worse.
1: Gotcha. So when did you start to notice like, okay, well, uh, if medical science is going to take care of me when I need it, well, now is the time that I do need it. When did you start to notice that something wasn't quite right?
0: See, what happened was, uh, Chuck, uh, as you see, when I had my heart problems, my coronary arteries blockages, I had two of my arteries 98 to 99% blocked. And one of them, which is called a widow maker. And as they were taking me in into the operating room and putting the stents in, guess what happened to me? I got a cardiac arrest, mm-hmm. my heart stopped. And they had to shock me to get my heart beating again. Okay, I they postponed the surgery and they did it the next uh, morning, but I was startled. To see these huge paddle burns on my chest. Now, this is not it. the The cardiologist who did my stents was brilliant, and he was in his late forties. After putting on my putting in my stents, two years after that, he was on a treadmill and was exercising in a massive heart attack and died. Mm. So now we are talking about that heart disease is the leading cause of death, both for men and women in the US and worldwide for 103 years in a row. So this is what I'm trying to say that because heart disease has become such a prevalent thing and then I literally got terrified. I got scared. So that is the time when I started wondering that, uh, and and, you know, you would think that, okay, it happened to me, coronary artery disease. Okay, so this is a time Dr. Teher changes his life. Uh, He starts eating better, running, and now climbing mountains and doing things. Nope, not even a little bit. You see, in spite of having the coronary artery disease, my previous lifestyle choices So I I laughed through my medical problems, continuing my poor lifestyle and uh, my dietary habits while battling tormenting thoughts. Now I was in deep, deep trouble. You see, what had happened is that I was a doctor and was supposed to treat patients, not become one. Slowly I started withdrawing from life. And the next five years were devastating. I was alone. I was alone. I was uh, sad. I was sitting for long hours on a chair, looking vacantly into the distance. Uh, I was, sometimes I would get into uh, sobbing, bouts of sobbing without any reason. And then I would get into a rage throwing things around, using anger as a cover-up for the deep despair I felt. You know, the nights were so tough that I used to get up with, with fear and my clothes were soaking wet. Mornings were not better. I had to make myself get up to go to work. By the time I got ready and dressed up, I was totally, completely exhausted. So what happened? Soon all these behaviors and thoughts led to more physical symptoms, more problems. So from the coronary artery disease, now I'm from the frying pan into the fire because now I've got this pneumonia and bronchitis and uh, what you have uh, sinus infections visiting me every year now because of no fiber in my diet for so many years, I had that chronic constipation. And this chronic constipation uh, uh, was leading to a severe, severe diverticulitis. So that I was admitted twice for colon perforations. Now picture this. I want your, I want your audience to picture this. I have my friend, the surgeon, waiting in the uh, surgery room and calling me out and says "Akil, if I don't do the surgery on you and get that disease colon out, you may not survive. And on top of it, I have an enlarged prostate. So I was admitted several times for acute retention of urine and bleeding. And when you have those huge clots And they want to get it out. They use large catheters for 12 hours. It was like somebody piercing an iron rod into your genitals. Such was the the state that I was. And it took me five years. Of living this way with thoughts of suicide included. Till I came back. I came back. Before I was back, I came back to the hospital this time for an open-heart surgery because my stents had failed. Wow. You
1: went through an enormous amount there. Uh, Those five years are, I mean, just extraordinary struggle. I'm curious, though, initially after having the stents put in, and your heart had stopped, why, I mean, what what type of changes did you start prescribing for yourself at that point? You said like you, it, it didn't change much, but did you take any step toward a healthier diet at that point? Or did you kind of retreat in terms of your eating habits because of that anger, because of that depression you were feeling?
0: Get a hoot attitude. I said, so what? Let me live life the way I want to. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So that was the problem that I, I said, okay, if it is going to come, death is going to come, let it come. I'm going to do exactly what I want. The macho man type of an attitude.
1: So the stents then uh, begin to fail. Uh, you've got bouts with diverticulitis, uh, the enlarged prostate uh, nothing about any of that sounds very pleasant to me whatsoever. What then became the ultimate wake-up call for you? Was it the fact that now you're facing open-heart surgery, but you've also said repeatedly up until this point, medicine can essentially fix me, right? Modern science can fix me. So what made this bypass surgery any different from everything that you had been through previously?
0: See, as I was... By the way, it gives me goosebumps even now to talk about my things, you know. But I want people to know this so that they can they can learn from this. But as I was being taken into surgery, I said, mark my words. I'm going to do a half marathon in within a year of my surgery. Now, I don't know exactly why I said this at that moment, but looking back now, I believe that that was a moment when I subconsciously decided that I have only now two choices left. To continue with this horrific, painfully slow to end life journey uh, filled with mediocrity and, uh, you know, Anger and despair, or I could make a conscious decision now to lead a healthier life, eat better, and move my body more. But I don't know what happened, that inflection point or the reflection point that I made that promise to the nurses. I remember some of them even laughed, and I don't blame them. Some of them they're sort of, you know, uh, humored me. But that was the thing that somehow made me feel, look, I need to live. So that was a moment that decided that I've got to do something. So what happened? As soon as I got out of surgery, my recovery was remarkable. I mean, everybody, the staff, the nurses, the the uh, cardiothoracic surgeon. I was on the treadmill on the third day, and even with the excruciating chest pain, you know, people who had surgery will tell you this, with the dreaded coughing. I refused to take pain meds. You know, now I feel that I was happier in the physical pain than the emotional. Agony of the last five years. Mm.
1: Do you think so? Here's kind of a, a deep question for you. Do you think that you refused that pain medication so that you could feel the weight of all of the choices that you had been making over the years, everything that had led you to this point?
0: You hit you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah exactly. I had to make it now. And so I I I decided, I decided at that moment that in sp- of the misery that I'd faced up till now uh, through, you know, whatever it is myself through this point, when it came down to it, I really wanted to live my life, really live it. So it was time for me to make some bold decisions and dramatic changes. So yeah. I, I had to make some dramatic changes, and therefore to keep, uh, I, I had to ditch the old uh, thing about, you know, uh, things which surgery patients, older surgery patients follow. I had to ditch that, and now say, wait a minute, I'm an older person, I have got open-heart surgery, but am I going to live my life just vicariously sit or no? It would have been easier. For me to just uh, be comfortable in my rocking chair and uh, live vicariously uh, through my uh, children and grandchild and wait for uh, death to come, but I wanted more. So I wanted this setback into a total comeback.
1: It's it's interesting. You you're as, you were saying that you didn't know why things were different going into the, uh, open heart surgery. And you are the first person whom I have spoken with, um, who has experienced something similar to me. And it, it really is hard to convey. Now I had gastric bypass and not heart bypass surgery, but I was not expecting that day to have that switch flip and I don't know why that switch was flipped other than exactly what you said is that it was kind of this overwhelming desire to live and not just live, but live well, you know, it's, it's, it's just like suddenly everything just, it, it, it changed. It was like your views almost like inverted, you know, they were flipped on their head and you can't explain why that happened. All you know is that it did and, and Dr. Teher, if we could, in fact, bottle the reason why things, you know, changed for us. I I think that we could do a lot of good in this world, but what we can do is, is convey our stories and, and yours is, is just so remarkable because here's the thing. I mean, here we are like 20 some odd minutes into your interview now, and we've already been through one heck of a journey, but now is really where that journey begins. Because what has happened since that day, since your surgery, has really kind of set you apart from everybody else. I mean, you are a gentleman who said, I'm not sitting here and just resigning myself to die. You went out, you start running marathons, you start climbing mountains. That, that goal that you set for yourself with those nurses that day, you achieved that and you achieved it in a hurry how long was it before you were out there pounding the pavement and and starting to run
0: so you know uh, Chuck uh, again i i have gone through your story i understand where you are coming from and i i cannot uh, tell you that this is something that is always people have asked me but that was some kind of a inflection point that happened but to to be to keep up the promise that i had given to the nurses in the icu this uh, you know kind of a couch potato that was me took up running for the first time in his life so what did i do i i i mean i did not know any have any concept of running so first i started shuffling then a bit of a walk. Then I started a little jog, and then I came to running. I enjoyed running. To me, running out in the open was meditation in motion. I I started enjoying the birds chirp, the smell of flowers, the waterfalls, and I just really thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it so when I made that promise eight months after my heart surgery I went to Nashville Tennessee and finished my first half marathon but when my when I went my wife and I went a night before to Nashville and I I can distinctly remember this I just could not sleep that night. Uh, I, there, was a, there was a dichotomy of fear and excitement. And uh, I just, so till one o'clock, one a.m. Well, one or two a.m. in the morning, I got sleep. And, and guess what? I dreamt, I dreamt a beautiful dream. I dreamt that I was representing uh, U.S. in the Olympics and I was getting a gold medal and they were uh, giving me the gold medal. And I was singing the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, totally out of tune. But there I was. And the next morning when I went over there, hey boy, I saw hills. My little town Gadsden did not have any hills. And I, for a minute I was scared. But then I says, wait a minute can't beat them, join them. Who cares? Forget about whether you complete or you don't complete. And so I went. I went. Even I remember somebody offering me uh, a beer on the way in Nashville. Uh, I will let your audience be the judge whether I took it or not. Anyway. so. So I went around there. And then in four grueling hours, I finished the marathon, my bruised heart did not. It took me literally and physically across the finish line. From that moment, there was no stopping because just eight months, no, wait a minute, four months after my half marathon, somebody invited me to go on a yatra on a pilgrimage without batting an eyelid. I said, okay, I'll come around. Now, as you climb that, you circumvent the mountain. You can't climb the mountain like Kilimanjaro. Kailash has a 19,000 feet. So you circumvent the mountain and you come up to 19,000 feet. Now, here is a moment when everybody's high-fiving each other and congratulating each other. I crave for isolation. I went and sat on a rock. This being alone was different from the alone when I was depressed. I was feeling so calm and completely that inner peace. And for the first time in my life, I thought that what would life be without all these material things and luxurious things? And you had that immense, that immense inner peace that, that can be hardly, seldom described, but more so felt. And that was the stage I was at that time. And from then on, nothing stopped me. When I came down from Mount Kailash, it was my wife who noticed. She's the one who pointed out and said, you mellowed down your type A personality. <laughs>
1: That's a great awakening. Uh, Kailash, that's, uh, in Tibet and you said it's a uh, peak is 19,000 feet is, is that you what mean, you said?
0: It is a lot higher. You can only go up to 19,000 feet.
1: So, but that, that was only the first mountain that, that you would go on to climb because, uh, in between, uh, that, I believe you ran, uh, the Chicago marathon, uh, after Kailash, correct?
0: Correct. Correct. Uh, the Boston marathon reminds me of a, beautiful story about the kindness of people who are strangers. Uh, You know what? In a Boston marathon starts uh, uh, being very cold. So uh, I had a knit toboggan, which I put on. But as the time went on, it got very hot. So I took off my toboggan and discarded it. Now, I always carry $20 in my pocket. So I happened to go around on the sidelines, approached a gentleman, wear a hat with him. And I said, look, how about giving me your hat and I'll give you this $20. Of course, he was reluctant in the beginning, but his girlfriend elbowed him and said, give that damn hat to the person, you know. So he gave me the hat and she did not even take the $20. What a passing shot. He turned around and told me that, look, that hat has been with me for 10 years. It's a custom-made hat. You better finish the race. And you know what, Chuck, that now thinking back in retrospection, that was what motivated me to finish the race, even though a month before I had a calf muscle tear. I tried to find the guy after that. I really tried to find him. and But all the authorities I talked to, they said, We want his name. I wanted to return his hat. And this is the hat. See, it's very loose, of course. But here, this is the hat. It's a Boston listing uh, uh, yeah, hat. And this, I want, I want, I somehow feel that one day he will listen to some of my podcasts, which I've done now, quite a few, and really get in touch with me so that I can return his hat.
1: And this uh, this was the Boston marathon, correct?
0: Correct.
1: Okay. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do for you. Um, I still I have some contacts in the Boston media. Um, and what I will do is I will reach out to them with your story and uh, see if we can't uh, help uh, track track that gentleman down for you. Um so we'll we'll talk a little bit more after the interview um and, and see if we can't make some magic happen for you. That would be my absolute pleasure. What a story. Um, okay, so Then, from there, it's not enough that you've climbed one mountain, or now you've run this marathon. you finished with the magic hat. From there, you decide, hey, what do I want to do next? I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the highest freestanding mountain in the entire world. So when you go big with these challenges, Dr. Teher,
0: you go real big. You know, it was like somebody would... uh... Somebody once said that you can climb Mount Kilimanjaro once and that is great. But if you ever try to do it again, you're a fool. So (laughs) the point is that to me, any new challenge, see, I get a little bored with the same things, but any new challenge, I jump into it. So when they turned around for Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro to me was, uh, was tough but it was American based company. So everything was enough food wise and all that, but the climb was really tough. I mean, the last one mile that you do, it takes you about four to five hours to do that one mile because it is incredibly cold and it is only 50% of the oxygen uh, at sea level, there's only fifty percent at that level. And see, think about this. I was, I was sixty six when I climbed that mountain. So when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was in the tent, and I could not sleep because the, they give you anti-malaria medications, and these medications surfaced as anxiety and insomnia. So, by God, I mean, I could not sleep. So, in the beginning, I turned around and uh, talked to my uh, person, my friend who was in the tent with me, till he and the other people in the tents asked me to shut up. Now I sit over there and having an enlarged prostate, drinking five liters of fluid every single day and on top of that, water pills that you are given to prevent you from pulmonary edema and cerebral edema, the swelling in the brain or the lungs. And then with all this, I needed to pee every two to three hours. Now the question is first I got to in the pitch dark, I'm trying to get hold of my headlamp. Once I get the headlamp, I'm now still in the sleeping bag. It's excruciating cold. I didn't want to go out. So I am trying to position myself in the sleeping bag with the pee bottle in place and waiting for things to happen. Waiting for the flow, nothing happened. So now I'm desperate. I'm getting onto my knees and trying to let the flow happen. And in the meantime, my friend, wakes up and says, what are you doing? And I very meekly told him, I'm really praying for a miracle. And then it happened. The flow started and oh, goodness gracious, what a satisfaction. And these are the little things that make, made my climb when I came back so interesting. And I faced all this and I could do it. A lot of people at my age, I just want to tell them, live with your adversities. And age is not a criteria, old or young, to make some real changes in your lifestyle. It's not a limiting factor. Go ahead and do it. I did it at 61. Anybody can do it.
1: You know, most people with those types of stories, and it happens when they're trapped on the highway in a bad traffic jam, and they can't get to a restroom. But you, Yami, you just came out with a trump card right there. You were like, nope, here I am. I'm trapped on a mountain, and I really, really, really had to go. Uh, you win, uh, that that story, my friend. Um, fantastic. Um, you know, here we are. We've talked about all of the things that you've been able to experience, all that you're now accomplishing, your health transformation. Uh, But what we haven't talked about too much yet uh, is your diet, which for the exam room podcast, the fact that now we are 35 minutes into the interview and uh, have not yet gotten to this is just mind blowing to me because there's so much to your story. But how is your diet at this point? What are you eating? And you, you know, I. I'm guessing at this point you're 100% plant-based.
0: Yes, sir. I did not go cold turkey. I turned into a flexitarian first, cutting back on meat, eggs, and dairy. Then I started looking at each item. My main thing was that I had to replace something from the vegan when I gave up something. So then I tried to give up a dairy because anyway, I was lactose intolerant and a lot of people are lactose intolerant. And so I gave up dairy. And finally, I this, no, not finally. Then I gave up eggs. And then I could not give up fish. For the longest period of time, I was a pescetarian. Then I gave up fish. And guess what, Chuck? I turned into a vegetarian. <laughs> but a junk food vegetarian with all the oil and the butter that increases the oxidized cholesterol tenfold, the clarified butter, the ghee that we call. And so I turned around being a junk food till finally I came across the whole food plant-based and oh boy, oh boy, my is on the back burner. Nothing is now that important. Uh, I mean, nothing really happens now. Uh, I am having regular BMS, this, that, no good, no reflux. And I'm feeling on top of this world. Uh, To me, uh, Chuck, I am only 13 to 14 years old. (laughs) Because before that, I didn't live.
1: That's a profound statement, my friend. That is very profound. And uh, I'm assuming now um, there's no need for any more stents, no other future heart surgeries. Everything is pumping free and clear now.
0: Except for a slip disc.
1: Except for, <laughs> well, I mean, what what are you going to do, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean... A slip disc isn't gonna prevent you from seeing tomorrow, but uh, a stopped heart certainly would.
0: I was at the library talk. I was giving a talk in the library. And uh, as soon as I came out the next day, I sneezed and got this problem. Now, what is going to happen in the future? I don't know, Chuck. But I'm not really talking about the longevity and all that. I'm talking about the quality of life. Why is it that we always have this immense lifespan? Because we have learned how to transplant hearts and kidneys and whatnot. But why is it that the last 20 years of our life are miserable? So our health span is so miserable. We always pray for an old age, and then we are afraid of old age.
1: You have quite the quite the healthy outlook. I think that if other doctors shared that same type of philosophy, um, things would be quite different for many, many, many millions and millions and millions of their patients and, and people around this world. Um, so you said that uh, you, you had a hard time giving up uh, the fish. That was one of the last things to go. A lot of the oils, the ghee, uh, some of the dairy, but... Now that you are transformed over to a completely uh, plant-based diet, what are the foods that you can't live without? What are your go-tos today?
0: Yeah, see, because what what has happened is that in the isolation period of COVID, I got a chance to put down my words and write a book, The Open Heart. And then I learned how to, in that period of time, gardening and cooking. So uh, I'm being very honest. I'm not a good cook. (laughs) (laughs) So so if you ever want to get me back on the show, don't call me as cooking because it will be a disaster. But (laughs) but the point I'm making is that I love earthy things. So if I gave up steak or if I gave up a piece of chicken, then I look for earthy jackfruit. I like to uh, make a burger of the jackfruit or uh, mushrooms with the spinach on it. So these are my go-to foods. My lentils, my uh, my beans, so many different types of beans, so many different types of lentils that my wife uh, makes. And it is amazing. My smoothies in the morning, every little piece that I have, I put it into my mixer and we each have a glass with all the celery and everything else. And then you, you have so many cruciferous vegetables. Unbelievable. I, I, I have a little game with my patients. I tell them, okay, from A to Z, tell me all the vegetables that you know. And then they will start. Avocado, broccoli, bo- uh, bok choy. And then we go on playing this game. And then you have the nuts. But nuts, I'm a little concerned about it because of my heart disease. So I don't want to take too much of fats. Uh, so I i am mm, uh, not too distinct on nuts. But then sunflower seeds and your uh, other uh, uh, things, you know, your 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 grains, whole grains. I mean, think about it: amaranth and uh, your millet, your couscous, your uh, your uh, what you uh, so many like uh, your wheat, your brown rice. All that is immensely, immensely good for you. And then uh, you get your from your fruits, you get your phytonutrients, your vitamin C, and all. uh, And what I really like is to put everything, all the vegetables, and use all the spices and condiments and uh, basil and what have you. Put it on the grill with a silver foil, and then oh, the smell! I can. I'm I'm hungry now. So uh, uh, this is what I'm saying. I had a breakfast. The one thing I would tell the audience, when you turn into a plant-based food, I've got a lot of calls. I get a lot of calls because I give my number out and say, look, if you can't get hold of your doctor, call me. So I I tell them what they find is that they feel very weak initially and tired because you're not eating enough. See, I would like to tell the listeners, this is nutrient dense whole food plant-based. It's not caloric dense. So you can eat much more and you will still not put on weight, but that kind of weakness and fatigue, you will not have anymore.
1: Final question for you is this, Uh, the Dr. Teher, who we've been speaking to today, who is here with us, what is it that he would tell the Dr. Teher prior to um, the need to have those stents put in? If you could go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self What would you like to say?
0: You see, that is the main reason, Chuck, that I have dedicated my book. This is the first time that anybody has done it. I've dedicated my book to my wife, but also to my older self. So I would like to read this, just a dedication that I have uh, to my wife, Nafisa, for believing in my dreams and standing by me every step of the way but also to Akhil Teher from 1948 to 2009, I owe a greater debt than I can express. A sincere and hardworking physician who realized at 861 that he needed to make major changes in his life. That burnt out individual afflicted with myriad of health issues and specific vulnerabilities helped me become the man, the husband, the father, the grandfather, and the friend that I am today. And to that Akhil, I express a special nod of gratitude. He is the sole reason this book has come to life, transforming me into an author. So I dedicate this book to my earlier self, who overcame hurdles on this path so he could live a healthy, energetic, and fulfilling life, and who cried and laughed in equal measure as he strove to create the new Akhil, me.
1: Dr. Teher, thank you so very much for your time, my friend. You are such an inspiration. That is such an incredible story. And it has been such a privilege to share this time with you.
0: Chuck, I really, really enjoyed talking on your show. Thank you very much for having me.
1: There's a link to Dr. Teher's book, Open Heart, right now in the episode notes. So let's run down that timeline again for anyone who thinks it's ever too late to change. At the age of 56, Dr. Teher has stents put in, has a heart attack, his heart stops. Then five years later at 61, he has open heart bypass surgery. And then the changes begin the following year. At 62, he climbs Mount Kailash in Tibet and he starts running marathons. At age 64, he's still climbing, this time to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain in Africa and the highest freestanding mountain in the entire world, topping out at 5,895 meters, which is 19,341 feet that my friend is one tall mountain and climbing that required one colossal change and sure enough that is exactly what Dr. Taher did. So after we taped the interview I did wind up reaching out to a friend of mine who works at a news radio station in Boston. And I told him about Dr. Tayher's marathon story and how he's been looking for the man who gave him this hat so many years ago. And my friend who is a reporter there, he thought that this was a heck of a thing. He thought this was a great story that needs to be told. So hopefully we can get these two together and find the man who gave away his hat all those years ago. That would just be magic. Now, let's change gears for a moment behind the scenes here at the Physicians Committee, our dietitians have been busy. I mean, real busy scouring fast food menus looking for the least healthy items. I mean, the real heart stoppers, the real artery cloggers up there, and they have come up with a list of what they call the five fatty fast food flops of 2022. They got some doozies on that list, let me tell you. It starts with Popeye's Buffalo Ranch Chicken Sandwich, which has 634 calories, 35 grams of fat, 13 are saturated, 86 milligrams of cholesterol, and 1,667 milligrams of sodium. (laughs) So you may love that chicken from Popeye's, but I guarantee you it does not love you back. Next up on the list, we have Quizno's 8-inch Steak Philly Sub, and this gem has 660 calories, 23 grams of fat, 10 are saturated, 85 milligrams of cholesterol, and a salt bomb to the tune of 1,470 milligrams of sodium. Next up is the first of two offerings from Arby's. We begin with their Deluxe Wagyu Steak Burger. And it's 710 calories, 43 grams of fat, 17 are saturated, 95 milligrams of cholesterol, and 1,500 milligrams of sodium. Runner up is Arby's Bacon Ranch Wagyu Steakhouse Burger. So they figured out a way to kill you even faster by turning the steakhouse burger into a Bacon Ranch Wagyu Steakhouse Burger. This time, we're talking 800 calories, we're up to 50 grams of fat, 19 are saturated, 110 milligrams of cholesterol, and 1,880 milligrams of sodium. But the winner, at the top of our fast food flops, the worst of the worst, which makes it anything other than a winner, is Shake Shack's double bourbon bacon cheddar burger 960 calories, 63 grams of fat, 24 are saturated, and then we're going nuclear with cholesterol and sodium 205 milligrams of cholesterol and 2240 milligrams of sodium. Good grief. Said Physicians Committee dietitian Karen Smith, quote, That is essentially double the amount of saturated fat the American Heart Association suggests adults eat each day. And then you factor in the fact that 42% of adults are now obese in the U.S. and three-quarters are overweight. And then think about the fact that these types of foods are being marketed. Now, I got you. I've had friends, I've had family members, I've had random people on social media all say the same thing to me. They say, Chuck, you are a stick in the mud. You are no fun. I'm like, cool, I've got you, but here's why I'm comfortable being that stick, right? A study published in the journal Circulation found that people who eat fast food once a week increase their risk of dying from heart disease by 20%. That's just one trip through the drive-thru. Now, two to three fast food meals each week increase the risk of dying prematurely by 50%. And then, four or more fast food meals every single week increases the risk of dying from heart disease by nearly 80%. So, this stick does not want that. I've already eaten enough fast food to last a lifetime. I'm good now. I'm more than good. And I wonder though, if, if more people knew those facts that we just shared, if more people knew about that increased risk of death, those cold, hard facts, would we still be seeing these wacky concoctions on drive-through menus? Or would we have smarter consumers? I mean, things like Shake Shack's double bourbon bacon cheddar burger. And it's nearly 1,000 calories. It does sound fun. It sounds like a challenge. I'm not going to lie about that. But it's also horrifying. You go and you see horror movies at the movie theater for fun, right? You watch those for entertainment. They won't kill you, though. The burger might. So let's help get that healthier message out there. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. That will help us raise our health IQs around the world, believe you me. It really does help people who need this information the most, who are seeking it out. It helps them find it just a little bit easier. And there's something else right now that you can do that can make an enormous difference. We have a big fundraising challenge happening. You and all of the exam roomies can jump in on this and really pitch in and help. Until July 10th, all donations to support the Physicians Committee's work will be doubled. Dollar for dollar, that will be doubled, and all of that support goes to all of the work that we're doing, including producing this podcast. It all sounds great, right? Of course it does. Your dollars are being doubled through July 10th, thanks to the incredible generosity of one very special Physicians Committee member who is on a personal mission because they lost their father to a preventable disease. He sees, this gentleman does, the value of making sure that this does not happen to anyone else. So please give what you can. Here's what this means, the doubling. When you make a donation of $10, that becomes $20. When you give a gift of $50, that becomes $100. If you give $1,000, that becomes $2,000. Every donation, dollar for dollar, will be doubled until we reach our goal of $250,000. So please consider donating to the Physicians Committee right now. Take advantage of this incredible opportunity and help us continue our life-saving work. Pledge your support at pcrm.org match. That's pcrm.org match. You can also call in your donation. Call us. That's 202-527-7304. And that number and that link right now to make that doubling donation can be found in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Akil Teher for so generously sharing his incredible story with us. It is never too late to change, my friends. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.